Let's talk about four reasons why anybody would want to add rules to our lives after Christ set us free. You're listening to Onward in the Faith with Ray Burns. Ray is dedicated to equipping Christians to understand why they believe what they believe so that they can keep moving onward in their faith toward maturity in Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, visit patreon.com slash onwardinthefaith. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. And make sure you visit onwardinthefaith.com where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. Now here's Ray with today's topic. Hello, everybody. My name is Ray Burns, and I am a recovering legalist. In today's episode, I really want to talk about something that I think is important for all Christians to think about, even if you don't see yourself as a legalist or no one has called you one, because I think without realizing it, a lot of us can fall into certain traps of legalism in ways that maybe we don't even realize are problematic in the first place. And now, as with every good discussion, let's just talk about the gospel. Because the gospel is kind of equal parts freeing for us, but also incredibly offensive to our lives. So when we realize the depths of our sin and how incapable we are of doing anything to please God, the freedom that we find in Christ and the gift of salvation he gives us without any requirements on our parts is a very beautiful thing. However, at the same time, that freedom, that overwhelming sense of relief that we don't have to earn it ourselves actually rubs violently against us because the gospel at its very core offends our pride. And for, I think, really every human being, our pride is what gets us into so much problems in the first place. And so for Christ to come and say, hey, not only do you not have to do anything, but you can't do anything to earn your righteousness, to earn your salvation, or even to keep your salvation— it doesn't sit well with us. Maybe we won't outright admit it, but it does bother us. And so kind of understanding those two things, I want to launch into a discussion about legalism, because if we do believe that the gospel through Jesus Christ offers us that freedom, why on earth would we possibly want to add anything to it? Why would we want to work for something that Christ says we don't need to work for and can't possibly earn? So before we get into the four reasons that I think a lot of people are attracted to legalism. Let's define our terms, because whenever the topic of legalism comes up, people bring all sorts of definitions into it. If you've been around my blog or podcast long enough, you may actually think I'm a legalist, and I've even been called a legalist, because I, for lack of a better term, I have certain standards that I live my life by. You know, I've recently done a episode on why my family doesn't do Santa Claus. We've talked about why we don't do Halloween. You know, we don't watch certain shows or listen to certain music or what have you. And a lot of people would say, well, that's because you're a legalist. But let's really think about what legalism is. Because really thinking about it, I've heard people say that, you know, if you don't want to watch a show with, you know, women who tempt you towards lust, you're being legalistic. And that's in a way, silly and honestly ridiculous, because for us to want to avoid sin and to be called legalists for it really means that we don't understand what legalism is and why it is such a problem. So ultimately, legalism boils down to us trying to do something to either earn our righteousness or prove that we are good or righteous in God's sight. It's a way for us to maybe earn God's favor or earn his blessings in our lives. And this can take on all kinds of forms, but really it kind of boils down to, I think, three things. 
It either adds requirements to us earning or keeping our salvation. It creates new rules or new laws for Christianity or adds Old Testament laws to it. Or, like I said, it's the idea of following God's commands with the intent or purpose of earning something rather than doing the things God loves because we love him. And a good way I've heard it described, and I wish I could remember the author, but I once read an author say that legalism is basically trying to take good fruit and nail it to dead trees. And by that, he means that we're taking things like, you know, praying or reading our Bibles or going to church or, you know, whatever behaviors we're thinking of. We're taking these things that appear good on the surface, but we're nailing them to what is effectively hearts that are not for God. And we are, we're trying to make ourselves look good by putting these nice and attractive looking fruits on lives that are broken and filled with, you know, pride and not following after Christ. So now understanding legalism that way, understanding it as us trying to do something, us adding rules, us doing whatever it is we need to do to feel better about ourselves or to look good before God. Let's talk about why we as human beings, and especially those of us who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, why we still are tempted towards adding works, adding laws, adding rules to a life that has been set free by Jesus Christ. Now, the first one is that ultimately legalism just reflects our ideals, both as human beings, but especially those of us who lived in Western cultures. And by that, I mean that in the West, and especially in America, we place a great value and a great emphasis on our ability to earn what we want and to deserve whatever it is that we earn. So if you work hard, you should be rewarded for your hard work. If you don't work, you should not be rewarded. You know, someone who is a self-made man or self-made woman is really held up in high esteem because they made it. They are wealthy. They are successful because of their hard work, because of all the stuff that they did. And so we look at them and say, wow, look how incredible or smart or savvy they are to have gotten where they are in life. You know, and we even see this boiled down to a very basic level. I mean, if you hang out on social media at all, think about the inspirational quotes and the images and even some feelings and ideas that people will attach to verses of scripture. You know, things like believe in yourself or be fair and kind and understanding or, you know, this idea that, you know, you're not like everyone else. You're unique. You're weird. You're special or, you know, reach for your success and you can do anything you set your mind to. You know, whatever the quotes are, ultimately the message boils down to self-empowerment and that as human beings, our happiness is found in basically what we make of our own lives. And so whether it's success or love or just our personal worth, we all believe that we deserve good things, but we realize that good things don't just happen to us. They don't just come to us. We have to do something to earn them. We have to go out and get the things that we want. We can't just sit around and wait for it to come to us. Now, in a way, what I've said isn't ultimately a bad thing, right? I mean, even the Bible talks about not being lazy, you know, a worker being worth his wages. But when we take this kind of culture and this mindset and this conditioning that we have to think that we have to go get it, we have to go do it, and then we 
bring Jesus Christ into our lives, we try to make him fit with our previous worldview. We try to say, okay, how does Jesus help me get it? How does Christ and the gospel help me to be a better person, help me to improve and to impress God? And so we run into one of two things. Either we compromise the gospel, we compromise who Christ is and what he did and what he calls us to, or we have this really harsh friction where we can't grasp with how do I not earn my salvation? How do I not earn my standing before God? But yet everything I know about life is about what I can get for myself, how I can take care of myself, how I can earn you know, a living or my college degree or the love of my spouse or the respect of my children and friends. You know, we have a hard time holding these two things where the rest of our life is where we tend to get what we deserve and we call it unjust if we get something we don't deserve or if we don't get what we do deserve. We take that mentality and we approach it with into the gospel and say, everything I've gotten, I don't deserve and nothing I do deserve, do I get? And so as Christians or even non-Christians, we want to add something to our lives that allows us to earn this gift or to deserve this gift because everything that God gives us, whether it's through Jesus Christ, whether it's all the blessings in our lives, everything God gives us is something we don't deserve and we don't feel right about it. It, it doesn't match our worldview. And so a lot of times what we want to do is we want to add rules to our lives. We want to add stuff that we have to do or avoid in order to ultimately make Christianity and the gospel fit with what we understand about everything else about life. But really think about that. Think about what we read, for example, in Romans 3.19. It says, By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes knowledge of sin. In other words, the law, you know, especially the Old Testament law, things like the Ten Commandments or all the other uh, laws that were placed on Israel, those things were never actually meant to save. God has never looked at anyone throughout history and said, do this, don't do that, and then you'll earn salvation. You know, even those who died before Christ, they were waiting for their Messiah to come. They were waiting and trusting that God was going to send someone to remedy and to fix what we had shattered both all the way back in the Garden of Eden, but also just in our own lives. Because, you know, things like the blood of bulls and goats, as Hebrews tells us, could never take away sin. And so the point of the law wasn't to make us better or to help us impress God. Ultimately, it was to show us that we can't impress God. I mean, just think about any of the Ten Commandments, you know, lying, disobeying parents, uh, murder, you know, as Christ clarified, you know, the idea of hating someone is the same as murder in terms of where our heart condition is. Uh, looking at a man or a woman to lust after them is, as far as the heart goes, adulterous in God's eyes. You know, so us trying not to lie or us trying not to lust or us to always, you know, be peaceful and happy, that doesn't impress God because we can't do it. The whole point of the law, the whole point of these rules that God has laid out for people is to show that, no, you can't save yourself. You can't do it. You know, and we see a beautiful contrast to this when we look at Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9, which says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. So God's word is clear. We can't earn 
our salvation. We can't earn blessings from God. And yet our mindset is so focused on us having to do something to earn something. And so when it comes to the gospel, when we think about, you know, what, what, what is my life supposed to be like? What does God require of me, both in terms of salvation and in terms of, you know, being righteous before him, even after my sins have been paid for by Christ? You know, what do I do? And we want to add something. We, we think to ourselves, surely it can't be that easy, right? I mean, if you've ever shared the gospel with someone and they've been open to it, a lot of times they're kind of flabbergasted because... No, no, no. It can't be that easy. Surely I have to do something to earn salvation. It can't be a free gift, but that's exactly what God's word says it is. It's a free gift. And so when it comes to this idea that, you know, what do I do to earn salvation? How do I earn righteousness? How do I be a better person? What do I do? God tells us nothing, nothing we can do can earn anything from God. You know, not just because God has really high standards, but because there's just no goodness ultimately in us, any good that we are capable of is a gift of God. It's through his grace. You know, even unbelievers, any goodness that they are capable of is because of that common grace that God gives us and that we aren't all just constantly giving in to our basic sin nature. So that's number one. We love legalism. We want to add rules because it just fits our worldview. It allows us to handle Christ in a way that we are comfortable with. Now, number two for why we want to add rules to the Christian life is that ultimately it feeds our pride. So think about the parable that Christ gives us in Luke chapter 18 verses 9 through 14. And I'm just going to paraphrase it, but this is the story of Christ talking about two men who went to the temple to pray. You had a Pharisee and you had a tax collector. Now, back then, Pharisees were the super religious teachers. They were the the Jewish celebrities of the day. If you wanted an idea of what a life that God loved looked like, you looked at the Pharisees. They were the religious people. Everything about their lives seemed to be devoted and dedicated purely to God. And then the tax collectors were ultimately traitors. They were kind of agents of the empire, and absolutely everybody hated them because they basically came to their neighbors and said, hey, you owe the government money. And Nobody liked tax collectors. I mean, you look at, you know, any part of Christ's ministry and, you know, tax collectors were just despised and people were appalled when Christ would not only be kind to them, but show love to them. And so in this story, Christ says, you've got your two men, you've got your Pharisee and you've got your tax collector. The Pharisee stands up and he says, you know, oh God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people. I'm not like these cheaters and these adulterers, and I'm definitely not like that tax collector over there. I mean, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of my income in every way because the Pharisees didn't just give a tenth of their money. They gave a tenth of everything, spices and all kinds of things. Everything that went through their hands, they gave a tenth of to God. And then Christ says, and now you've got this tax collector. And while the Pharisee stood in the center of the temple, this tax collector stood off in the distance and he wouldn't even look up as he prayed to God. You know, the Pharisee, he was big, he was boisterous. He was letting everyone hear him pray. And this Pharisee, he, he couldn't even contain himself. He was so sorrowful and so broken before God, you know, and he basically just said, you know, he beats his chest. He's in sorrow. He's in lament. And he says, you know, God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. And then what does Christ say here? You've got this one guy who, you know, his whole life is pointing towards obedience and good works. And you've got this other guy that his very profession is kind of against God's people. And Christ says, 
one of those men went home justified before God, and it wasn't the guy who looked good. It wasn't the guy who stood up and showed how good he was. It was the one who was broken before God. And now really think about that. God, it's clear, wasn't concerned about one person's actions over another because this tax collector didn't you know, observe maybe all these holy days. He didn't observe this tithe. He didn't do all these laws, but his heart was right before God because the Pharisee, he could do all kinds of stuff, but ultimately this Pharisee, he wasn't doing it because he loved God. He was doing it because he loved himself, you know, and that's really the story of all the Pharisees we see. And if we're really honest with ourselves, that's the story we see in our own lives all the time, day after day, before Christ and after Christ. So much of what we do is not done out of a love for God, but a love for us. It's us wanting to feel good about ourselves. It's us wanting to serve and please ourselves. You know, the, the idea of self-denial in order to please God is, is almost foreign to a lot of us, perhaps in every aspect of our lives or in just certain parts of our lives, you know, whether it's food or TV or music or whatever, you know, we, we can't fathom giving things up or doing things out of a love for God. We only do it if it somehow benefits us because we are inherently selfish because like I said, we are at our deepest core, incredibly prideful. And so when we look at these two men that Christ is talking about, we see that there is a giant chasm of difference between serving God out of love and using God to make ourselves feel good or to make ourselves feel righteous. Because when we, you know, read our Bible or we post verses online or we get into, you know, public arguments on, you know, Facebook or Twitter or whatever, and we hope that others are looking, we hope others see, we want to see those likes, we get excited when we get alerts because people are responding to what we do. What have we done there? Ultimately, we've taken God and said, God, I want you to serve me. I want you to make me feel better. I'm going to use you in order to boost myself up, you know, or we'll take it a different way. We will do things and then we'll look at others and say, oh, they don't do that like I do. What's wrong with them? Don't they love God like I do? You know, I mean, just, just think about all the kind of controversies we tend to have in Christianity. You know, think about TV shows, you know, Game of Thrones was a huge controversy years ago. And you had Christians who would say, I don't watch Game of Thrones like those people who love porn, because why else would you watch it? Or, you know, we'll say, I read my Bible every day, and these people struggle to do it once a week. And we won't say it, we won't admit it to ourselves, but really what we're thinking in the back of our minds, we're feeling good because we're better than them. We don't struggle to put God first at the beginning of our day. We love God so much that we give him time every day to, to read his word or to pray, you know, or think about giving money to the church, you know, whether, whatever your thoughts on tithing versus giving, you know, we will say, you know, I tithe over 10% of my income or I give 10% and I volunteer at the church or, and I, you know, am a Sunday school teacher or whatever, you know, I, I clearly, I trust God more than others. I give more to God than others. You know, or we'll look at how people dress and say, oh, well, you know, we don't dress like those, you know, provocative heathens or, oh, we don't dress all stuffy like those other people, which is kind of funny because we we call people legalistic based on how they dress by making ourselves feel better by how we dress. But anyway, in the end, ultimately, what we love doing is we love to hold rules. We love to say, hey, here's how I live my life. 
let me compare it to others and see, oh, wow, look at all the ways that they fail. Look at all the ways they fall short of the rules that I have set for myself. And so we will live lives of sacrifice. We will suffer. We will do without, not to please God, not to serve him, not because we know that it, it brings glory to him or helps us love him more or to reject sin more. We ultimately do it to feel better about ourselves in order to feel like we are elevated above those around us, that we, you know, we're still sinners, we're still broken, but we, we rise just a little higher than those around us. We're just a little bit better. We love God just a little bit more. And because of that, we think we deserve more from God. We think we deserve more respect from others. We think we deserve certain positions or certain amounts of respect at the church or from our family. We think that because we do these things, we should be recognized. And in that way, we are very much like Pharisees. Because what do we do? We work. We sacrifice. We go the extra mile. Not because we love God. Maybe, maybe God's in there a little bit. Maybe, yeah, we do love him, obviously. I mean, we're thankful to him. We love Jesus. But we corrupt it. We mix it in with our own pride. We want to basically compete against God and say, God, this good stuff that I'm doing, this life that I live, like, aren't you impressed? Aren't, aren't I such a good guy or girl? You know, aren't you impressed? Aren't you pleased with me? Don't I maybe deserve something? You know, I, I do all this for you. What are you going to do for me? You know, because that's our pride talking. We think that because we do something, we deserve it. That goes all the way back to number one. Because all these, as you're going to find, they all kind of feed into each other. They're all kind of part of the whole. You know, maybe some are more relevant or will sound off more to others. But really, a lot of these just all boil down to our pride and how it shows itself, how it how it grows out of a heart of, of bitterness and sin and produces fruit that is ultimately rotten in our lives. You know, but what does God have to say? You know, how does God feel about, you know, one person who does this or doesn't do that? You know, what about someone who, you know, gets, goes all in for Christmas, but only observes the Jesus part? Or what about someone who completely rejects Christmas because of the commercialism attached to it? You know, or someone who works on Sunday or doesn't work on Sunday, someone who wears a suit or dresses casually and enjoys their freedom. You know, how does God feel about these people? Well, what does Romans 14.5 tell us? One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. So what are we talking about here? While we as human beings think, oh, you know, I need to do this to impress God. I need to do this to impress others or to be a better person. God's basically saying, look, it doesn't matter whether you do or don't do, whether you eat certain food or you don't eat certain food. What matters is not what we do, but why we do it. Are we doing it to bring God glory? Are we doing it because through deep study, you know, not just feelings of, of how, you know, how we feel God is going to like it or how it makes us feel, you know, because, you know, Ultimately, as human beings, we can't do things that please God or to bring him glory if we don't know who he is. And when we know who he is, there's obviously going to be things we're not going to do, right? We're, we're not going to murder a human being, whether an adult or a child or an unborn child. We're not going to murder a human being trying to bring God glory. Because as, if, we, if we know God, if we truly get to know him through his word, we're going to know that he's just not going to be okay with that. 
you know, as human beings, we are not going to just sit down on the couch and open up our phones and visit that one website. No matter how we might try to convince ourselves that, you know, we want to look at porn because it's art or because it, you know, spices up our love life or whatever. We know that it's wrong because of what God says about lust. There's no way around it. So, yes, there are, in a way, absolutes or ultimate things that we just as human beings can't do because God just won't be okay with it. You know, we're not going to be able to blaspheme God's name. No matter how we may want to swing it, we can't deny Christ and bring God glory. But, again, all of this comes down to if we have a heart that is set after God, there are things we will do and things we won't do. But, at the same time, if we have a heart after God, then I might do something and you might not. But we are doing it ultimately for God. Because whatever it is in our lives for the last, you know, 30, 40, 50 years, where, wherever our lives have taken us, there are some things that are okay for me and not okay for you. There are things that aren't okay for me that are okay for you. You know, I don't think I've done an episode on it yet, but I've got an article where I talk about, you know, why I don't drink alcohol, but why you can. You know, and that's that key is there are just things that we do or don't do, but ultimately we want to bring glory to God. We want to love God. But legalism is doing or not doing, not because we love God, but because we love us. We don't do it for God's glory. We do it for our own glory. Now, number three is that legalism lets our actions replace our hearts. And for this one, a good way to think about legalism is just to think about a sheet of paper with a bunch of checkboxes on it. When we introduce legalism, when we introduce rules or you know, of things that we do or don't do, what we ultimately do is we say, look, if I just check all these boxes, I'm good. And so what do we do to check the boxes? Well, we do something or we don't do something, right? Because avoidance is still an act. It's a decision that we make. And so just think about the long list of reasons why we might feel like we are impressing God or feeling better about ourselves. We We'll watch or not watch certain shows and movies. We'll read our Bible every day. We will or won't use certain versions of that Bible when we read it. We will pray every day or we will pray several times a day. We won't use certain words or profanities. We will give money to the church. We won't work Sundays. We will strictly listen to Christian music or classical music. We either won't wear jeans to church or we won't wear a suit to church. We'll leave Bible tracts at a restaurant with a 5% tip. We'll make sure that we don't reveal too much skin. We'll obey our parents or we'll you know, respect our authorities or be you know, humble before our pastors. We'll not get tattoos or certain piercings. We make sure we go to church every single week. We won't give money to certain businesses or we will vote a certain way in elections. And on and on we can go. But think about how many of those things trigger for us. How many of those things we say, ah, I'm a good person. I'm a good Christian because I do or don't do this. And you may be sitting there right now thinking, no, I do have this other thing that you didn't list because there are a thousand rules that we can introduce to our Christian lives. We're all going to have those unique things, but ultimately they boil down to one thing. They allow us to write out a list of what we do and don't do. And when we want to know if we are good before God, if we are 
on the right track, we just look at that list and say, okay, I've got the majority of my boxes checked, or I've got all my boxes checked. Because the nice thing about legalism is that you can add or subtract things as long as you're able to do them. You know, so if it's easy enough not to watch a certain TV show or listen to certain music, hey, add that onto the things that we use to compare ourselves before others or in front of God. If it's hard to avoid, you know, visiting certain restaurants or businesses, well, we'll find an excuse. We'll find a way so that we don't have to add that to our checklist. But think about it. Legalism, it's always do, do, do. It's about our actions. It's about what we decide in our lives. You know, and if we could do a, you know, a word counter on how many times the discussion in legalism always comes down to I, us, me, we, legalism is always focused on ourselves. It's always about our acts, the things we do. But completely absent from that discussion always is our hearts because legalism allows us to completely ignore why we are doing something, where, what our heart condition is like before God. Because we think that if I am doing the works, then my heart must be good. And so, you know, one of the, the dangerous things about legalism and why I think so many people are going to stand before Christ and he's going to have no idea who they are is because legalism replaces our need for Jesus Christ. Because we think that when we stand before God, he's going to look at our actions and be pleased. We think that our justification, in other words, the thing that makes us righteous and innocent before God, we're going to think that God's going to look at our actions and say, hey, good enough, well done, you did it. But what does Christ say? Matthew 23, 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So, brother and sister in Christ, and even if you're listening to this and maybe you are not truly a follower of Christ, really consider what's happening here. Think about what Christ is dealing with. He's saying that if our faith or our, our lives before God are based on how we look, whether how others view us or how we try to make God look at us, then we've totally missed the point of the gospel. Because when we're so busy making sure our actions are in just such a way, making sure that our lives look just so good, we have no time to worry about our hearts. We can ignore our hearts because we distract ourselves. We busy ourselves. We busy our minds with the flashiness of the things that we do, the things that we bring to the table. And in a way, that's kind of the best part about legalism is that if I can do it, if I can save myself, if I can earn my justification, I don't have to look at how broken and wretched and depraved I truly am. I don't have to see how horrible my heart is and how much I truly love sin. Because while I may secretly fail in these spots, at least I have all this other stuff going for me. You know, and the, and the scales kind of tip, hopefully, in the way of God being pleased with me and God seeing all my good works and ignoring my bad ones. Yes, I know I'm, I can't earn my salvation, but while I may acknowledge that with my head, my heart is screaming at me. No, you're broken. You're dark. You love sin. You're full of idols. But I say, no, no, no. I've got my actions. I'm good. It's fine. I don't watch certain TV shows. I give my money to the church. We're fine. It's good. Don't worry. You know, and so in that way, you know, I like to say that sin is like a cancer eating away at us. And we always try to find these things to not cure the sickness, but to mask the symptoms. 
And legalism is one of those things. You know, if our cancer is, you know, making us have headaches or cough up blood or, or just be very sick or weak, we don't deal with what's causing it. We just try to do things to prop ourselves back up, to make ourselves feel better. It doesn't matter that sin is slowly killing us inside as long as we feel good while it's happening. And that is what legalism brings to the table. It allows us to ignore who we truly are and what we truly desire. It makes us not have to pay attention to just how many times I choose sin over God. Because as long as I can look at my little checklist and say, okay, look, I do all this stuff. You know, it's good enough. I'm better than this other person. Then I don't need to inspect my heart. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, the danger is that we are missing out on the beauties of the gospel and the true fruit of the spirit in our lives. But when we live that way, when we teach that to our kids or to our friends or to those at church, another danger is that we are telling people to prioritize their actions over their own souls, over their own true right standing before God. And so finally, you know, while the first three have been kind of nefarious and really just looked at how broken we are, I want to kind of cap it off with something else to think about. And that that is, we as human beings, and especially Christians, we love our rules, we love our laws, we love our checklists, because ultimately we see our need to be righteous. We know that we are broken. You know, like we talked about earlier, you know, the law, you know, the... The reality that, you know, God tells us, don't lie. One single lie gives you an eternal death sentence. Stealing, even if it's a little bit of candy from your mom's purse or even, you know, a little bit of change when you were a kid, the wrath of God is on you for that. You know, we recognize the reality of that. We know that we are broken. We know we are in need of salvation. And so we find these rules and we latch onto these rules because they give us a feeling that we are somehow earning righteousness. We are being justified. Because we know we need it. And some people, they don't realize that what they want so desperately and what they realize they need is only found in Jesus Christ. But for those of us who have received that gift of salvation, who have seen the weight of our sin and realize that we truly can do nothing to earn God's favor, for those of us who have called out to Christ to save us, to pay the penalty for our sins, because we never could, and asking him for his righteousness and for his perfection so that we can have a right relationship with God, we still see the darkness inside of us. We still know we're broken and that we love sin. And so we think, okay, Christ did the bulk of the work. Now I've got to do something because I want righteousness. I want to stop sinning. I want to get rid of, of this love of whatever it is, whether it's spending too much money or how we treat food, how we treat you know, our phones when no one's looking, the ways that we think about our children or our spouse or our friends, whatever sin it is that you are sitting there right now and you know that you struggle with, you know that you hate it. You want it to be gone. You want God to just snap his finger and take it away. And so because maybe we don't see God working fast enough, we think, okay, I've got to do something. I've got to carry my weight. There, there's some way to get rid of this. I've just got to figure it out. And so we love our rules. We love imposing something more on ourselves, whether it's more work that we have to do or things that we avoid. You know, we love this checklist because it just makes us feel like, okay, maybe this will get rid of the sin. Maybe this will help me love God more. And so what is the solution to all of this? And I've hinted at it with most of these points. You know, we, 
we are prideful, we want to earn our salvation or our righteousness, we feel the need to to be righteous, to deal with this sin and this darkness inside of us, but maybe we don't know how or maybe we don't like what we have to do for it, and so we try to add some kind of laws or rules to ourselves. What's the solution? What do we do if we realize that, yes, I am a legalist, I love my rules, I, I like comparing myself to others or proving myself before God? What do we do? Well, for a lot of people, and I'll admit, even for myself, when I realized how legalistic I was, the solution is not abandon all the rules. I mean, that's going in the complete opposite way. You know, we have legalism, which is an over focus on rules. And then you have some people, whether Christian or not, who think that, oh, I just need to live free of any rules of anything telling me no. Well, no, that's that's swinging too far in the other direction. That is if you like the fancy words, that's called antinomianism. And that's just this idea that, you know, Christ has set us free. So why should I tell myself no? Why shouldn't I enjoy everything? There's no punishment. You know, to, to add one rule to my life is to say, oh, no, you know, I'm adding, I'm adding something to my salvation. I'm adding something to Christ. You know, I'm completely going against everything we read about in the book of Galatians. You know, but that, you know, we don't want to overcorrect. And as human beings, we love overcorrecting. We love saying, oh, this is a problem. Let's go the complete opposite way. You know, we need to find ourselves kind of a happy medium. And so we see in 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul says, Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So when Christ rescued us from the requirements of the law, he didn't just set us free to live however we wanted. Ultimately, what he did is he set us free from that life that we spent pursuing all our desires, pursuing everything that looked good to us. Because before Christ, we would never tell ourselves no. And if we did tell ourselves no, it was because we were ultimately trying to avoid some kind of negative to ourselves. So without Christ, all we can do is love sin. But through Jesus Christ... It's not just that we are free from that checklist, but that whatever we do or whatever we don't do, we can either do it to our glory or, like 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, we can do it to the glory of God. And so the Christian life isn't one that's just free of works or free of pursuing certain actions. I mean, the entire book of James drives Christians nuts because it's all about do, do, have works, have actions. I mean, just consider James 2.17 says that faith, if it has no works, is dead. I mean, really think about that. If we are truly pursuing Christ, if we have genuine faith, we're going to have works. Loving God is to have our entire life marked by God-pleasing works. So now, hold up. What am I doing now? Am I, am I completely reversing what this entire conversation's been about? No. Because the root of legalism isn't works. It's self-righteousness. It's pride. We add these rules on ourselves because our hearts are broken and we want to cover it up or we want to fix it ourselves. We do works because we love ourselves. We want to feel better about ourselves. The problem isn't the works that we do. The problem is why we do those works. You know, go back to the Pharisee and the tax collector. The problem wasn't that the Pharisee 
you know, tithed or kept religious holidays, but why he was doing it. You know, the tax collector, he could have, you know, given as much money or as little money. The issue was that the tax collector was wanting to glorify God. He saw the reality of his sinfulness, of how impossible it was for him to be good before God on his own. However, once we've realized that, once we've come to that point of salvation, of crying out to Jesus Christ to save us, we don't just go back to living our lives and trying to figure it out. We don't just go back to pursuing whatever makes us feel good or whatever we want to do. We don't go back to a life. We absolutely don't go back to a life of trying to earn goodness. We don't just say, oh, I've got Christ. Now I've got a little boost. Now I can do a little better before God. I mean, that, that's completely opposite of what the gospel is all about. But with Jesus Christ comes the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know, in Galatians 5.22, we see the fruit of the Spirit. You know, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faith. You know, if you've, especially if you've grown up in the church, those are things that you've probably tried pursuing all your life, but it wasn't until later in life that you realized that just because you seemed to have peace and you appeared to have faith and you had all the Sunday school answers, you read your Bible, you, you know, did the Awanas badges and things like that. Just having those things isn't evidence of God in your life. Because, you know, if you look at that Galatians passage and you go back further, you see that it's not us that produces evidence of God. It's God who produces evidence of God. It's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of a good heart, not the fruit of someone who loves God. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So when he bears those things out in our lives, and for some of us, some things may come naturally, some things may be basically just constant fights against our sin nature. But you know, as we see in James, I mean, really, read the whole book of James. I love that book. It's short, it's simple, it's to the point, and it really reveals what our hearts are about. But ultimately, a life of faith is going to be a life of works. But we need to make sure that we aren't getting it twisted. Because legalism says, I have works, therefore I must have faith. Because true faith is, I have God and because of that, he is producing works in my life. He is making me more patient, even though I'm not patient. He is making me peaceful, even though I'm not peaceful. He's making me wise, even though I am absolutely not wise. You know, in my, uh, in my last episode, when I shared how, you know, people would you know, reach out to me and say, you know, you're so, you're so kind and you're so loving to people. And I say that I have to laugh because I am not those things. That's what I'm talking about. I myself am not naturally wise or peaceful or patient or loving. Those are not me. I can guarantee you, if you knew me 10 years ago, you would know that I am not naturally a loving or peaceful person. I am selfish. I am angry. I am incredibly prideful. But through God, because I have faith, because I want to love him and love the things that he loves, he is naturally putting to death my anger, my selfishness, my pride. And as those things are taken away, they are replaced by better things, by godly things. It's not because I work to earn them or I work to be a better person. If anything, I get out of God's way because as soon as I get my hands in there and I try to help, everything goes wrong because I want to help because I want to do something. I want to to earn my righteousness, earn my wisdom, earn my peacefulness and my loving way of, of treating truth and treating other people. 
And so what I want you to walk away from this episode with is that legalism starts with pride. That is the core root of it. Whatever stands out to us about why we are legalists, ultimately we have to acknowledge that the root of it is our pride. And from that pride, it grows the fruit of trying to create works, trying to create goodness in our own lives. And so the solution to legalism is really the same as the solution to any other sin in our lives. And it's to go all the way back to our heart. Because if we want to see legalism end in our lives and see that love of rules and structure and proving ourselves and earning our salvation and earning our righteousness, if we want to see that die, it's not about us doing better. It's not about us killing legalism in our lives. It's about us being humble before God and repenting. Because ultimately, legalism is sin. Go read the book of Galatians. Go read all of Christ's interactions with the Pharisees. Legalism is sin because it's saying, God, I can do it on my own. I don't need you. I don't need Christ. I know that Christ can pay for all of it, but I want to do a little bit. I need to feel good about myself. I need to earn something. And so if we want to see that die in our lives... It starts at the foot of the cross. We have to repent. We have to be humble before God and recognize why it is that we want to work, why we want to earn, why we want to compare ourselves to others or to beat others down by saying, how dare you not live the life that I'm living? How dare you not observe the day that I observe or not observe the day I don't observe? You know, we have to stop looking at our outward good actions that are being produced by a filthy, sinful heart. What we need to do is we need to hate that heart and the false righteousness that it produces in our lives because we realize we are not righteous on our own. We're not even good. It's purely through the blood of Christ that God can even look at us as though we aren't the miserable wretches that we are because at the cross, Christ took all of our sin, all our wretched deeds, even all of our legalism, He took it upon himself and said, God, Father, I am guilty of these. Punish me in their place. Treat me as though I am the one that has spent my whole life trying to look good in front of you, trying to add works, trying to act like I had enough goodness to do part of this on my own. You know, Christ took that away from us at the cross. And in his place, Christ gave us his righteousness. He allows God to look at us as though we lived Christ's perfect life, as though we've always kept the law, as though we've never been angry or lied or stolen. And when we truly recognize that, when we truly embrace it, legalism stops making sense. It stops being appealing because we realize that if we are 100% justified before God, what more do we need to do? Instead, all God really calls us to is to love and serve him, to do good, not because we want to avoid punishment, or his wrath, but because if we love God, we're going to love the things that he loves. We're going to hate the things that he hates. So why do we want to stop lying? Because God loves truth. Why would we pursue something that the ultimate person in our life absolutely hates? If Christ had to die for us yelling at our kids, why would we continue wanting to yell at them and treating them in a way that doesn't honor them, that doesn't draw them closer to God. It's not about us looking good before God or being impressive to other parents. It's about loving God. And naturally, because we love God, we want to treat our kids a certain way. We want to think of our spouse a certain way. 
We want to reach out to our friends and love our neighbors. We want to read God's word and talk to this incredible God who sent Christ to die in our place so that we could have a right relationship with the Father. So just remember, as you you know, evaluate yourself or you talk to others about legalism, just remember that it's not about our actions. It's never been about our actions. God wants our hearts because a heart that loves God is going to naturally produce works that will glorify him. A heart that loves God is going to naturally do one thing or not do another. And for some people, that's going to be different. You know, there's not some ultimate one perfect life that we have to live. There are some things that, yes, are absolutes. But there are other areas where we have freedom through the gospel. And like we talked about, if your life has led you to a point where you feel that you glorify God more by avoiding certain kinds of foods or certain kinds of restaurants or music— then do that to the glory of God and only to the glory of God. If your life has brought you to a point where you can drink without sin and without being given to drunkenness, if you can listen to certain music or be around certain people, then do it, but only do it to the glory of God. Because God doesn't need us to act righteous. He wants us to love him so that he can produce that righteousness in us. And he only does that through Jesus Christ. So... At the end of all this, just remember that the solution to legalism isn't less rules or better rules. The solution to it is more of Jesus Christ. And I want to end this by remembering what Christ told us in John 15, 4. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Onward in the Faith. If you would like to support this ministry, you can visit me at patreon.com slash onwardinthefaith, where you can pledge whatever amount God leads you to give every month. You can find a link to that, as well as any scripture I've used in this episode or articles I've referenced down in the show notes. My greatest prayer is that this episode helps you keep moving onward in your faith, toward maturity in Christ.